Well, it is good to be here with you today, whether you're with us on campus or online, as we wrap up this sermon series that we've entitled, Come Out Swinging. And the intent for this series was to, to help us figure out, as the people of God, how to be active in the kingdom of God in the world around us as we are in the the middle of or the latter stages of uh, hopefully the latter stages of a global pandemic and as we've as we've been looking through the book of acts we've been following the apostle paul on his journey back to jerusalem in this third missionary journey as a part of this this series and today as we come to the to the last part of that trip as we come to the last part of this journey we come to a place where the scriptures teach us something that, that quite honestly we need to hear. See, we live in a culture that, that tends to gauge everything on what is referred to as a risk to reward ratio. The, the concept is this, how, how much risk can I take and still be safe and then get the most reward that I can get? And for different personalities, all of us react in different ways to, to how much risk we could take in order to, to get the reward that we seek after. And, and yet scripturally, when we follow the life of Jesus and when we follow the life of the early church, we discover that, that quite honestly, we as Christians are called to a counter-cultural risk-to-reward ratio. Jesus gave his life for us and he calls us to be involved in giving our lives for other people yesterday was the 20th anniversary of a horrible horrible day in the life of this country and the world when terrorism thought it could take over and when thousands of people lost their lives in new york city all of us who were alive at that time remember exactly where we were and what was going on. I have two friends, colleagues in ministry, one I worked with for a number of years, who happened to be in New York City on that day. One of them tells the story that, that he was on a subway headed down, actually downtown to see the Twin Towers. And he said, when I, when I got off of the subway train and started up the steps, I heard and felt this massive explosion. And as I topped the top of the stairs, I, I saw people running, people yelling. And at the same time that I saw people running one direction, I saw other people running in the opposite direction. And the people running in the opposite direction were the people who were going into these, these buildings that were on fire. I asked him, I said, what did you do? He said, I turned and went back down and caught the next train very quickly <laughs> and got out of town, got back to where I was staying out on the periphery of the city, and let my wife know that, hey, I, I'm okay. But he said, I will never forget seeing one group of people running for their lives and another group of people, first responders, running to save lives. 
And friends, today, as we look at this concept of, of being willing to make the right risk in order to gain the right reward in our lives, to have the correct ratio of, of risk and reward that's countercultural, then you need to know running toward the, toward the danger is countercultural. It goes against our human nature. And, and so those of you who've been trained as, as first responders, those of you who've been trained in military, those of you who've been trained in law enforcement, you, you know how much training you have to have in order to have the, the strength of will to, to overcome your initial fear and run to do what you have trained and desired to do. And my friends, I would say to you that 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 kind of countercultural risk to reward ratio is exactly what Jesus is expecting of us as the people of God, living in the kingdom of God, that exists in the midst of a kingdom of darkness, that exists in the midst of a world that doesn't understand who Jesus is, that doesn't understand the strength of the Holy Spirit in a person, who doesn't understand the call of God on your life. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to know you've been called to a greater risk-reward ratio than any human being who does not know Jesus can ever understand. That's why some of your family members don't understand the way that some of you give, the way that some of you serve, the way that some of you have chosen to live your lives. I remember sitting in, a, in a, my office in another church when I was a young pastor and having a teenage boy sit in front of me and, and say, Pastor, I, I want I believe with all my heart God is calling me to ministry and to have his father sitting right next to him saying, Pastor, I keep telling him he'll starve to death. Ministry, he'll never make any money. He'll never have a successful career. He'll, he'll just simply bounce around from church to church serving people and never do anything for himself. And I'll be honest with you. I was a much younger pastor then. I was a pastor, and the man had the audacity to call me that in front of his son and to say, I am not spending money for my son to go to a college that will teach him how to serve. I'm going to spend my money to teach him how to go to a college that will show him how to make more money. Oh, friends, I was about to come across the desk I was like, are you kidding me? I, I've lived in a, in a pastor's home all my life. I, 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 I've been a pastor. I was called into ministry as a teenager. I prepared myself. I've got college loans I'm paying off for this. And you want to have the audacity to sit in my office and tell me I'm a failure because I don't have as much money as you have. And you don't want your son to be a failure like me. I'll be honest with you, I'm not an easy personality for the Holy Spirit to deal with. And on that day, he was working overtime just to keep me on my side of the desk and to keep my mouth as closed as it could possibly be. But in my heart, I was just torn apart. Not so much for the insult to me, but for the 
the talent and the, and the risk and the, and the ability that that young man was willing to take. When his father said, if he does this, he does it without my blessing. So we, we have a counter-cultural risk-reward ratio as the people of God. And while it's good for us to remember those first responders who 20 years ago gave of their life to save other human lives, and while it's good for us to honor those who serve and those who, who give of themselves to protect the freedoms that we desire, I would suggest to you that it is of greater importance in the kingdom of God for us to become people who embrace the countercultural risk-reward ratio. And we have a model for it. A, a model in the Apostle Paul, who tells us in one place that, that he had everything that the world wanted. He had everything, the prestige, the power, the influence that any Jewish boy would have desired to have. His family was proud of him. He was a Pharisee among Pharisees. And what does he say to us? He says, I counted it all as garbage compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus and what Jesus has done in my life. It's the man who wrote those words, who is on his way back to Jerusalem in the 21st chapter of the book of Acts. Listen, as I read to you, a countercultural risk-reward decision that, get this, isn't just a risk-reward ratio against the kingdom of darkness, but is willing to be so connected to what God wants in his life, to be so willing to listen to the Spirit of God that when other Christian people try to keep him from serving, he stays true to his mission. Oh, and by the way, the young boy who sat in my office, yeah, his dad would have told you in a heartbeat, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I go to church every week, and I go to Wednesday night prayer meeting. Thank you very much. But the fact is, when the risk-reward ratio became so, so important that he couldn't see it, he squelched the call of God in the life of his son. Listen to what happened to the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 21. I'm going to start reading at verse 1. And when we had parted from them, the elders at Ephesus that we talked about last week, and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days, when, when, when our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. And then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. 
When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived in Potalemus and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for a day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven chosen by the church in the early days, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying there for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and, having, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he could not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. That's an amazing story to me. Because in that story, we find that on his way to Jerusalem, surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, to deliver an offering for the church in Jerusalem, these people along the way, both were in a little town where he stays for seven days at Tyre, and then later in Caesarea Philippi, where he's, where he's there for weeks and a prophet comes. Both places, both places, people try to tell Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. If you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be imprisoned. If you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be persecuted. If you go to Jerusalem, it's not going to go well for you. But do you remember what he told the, the elders from Ephesus that we looked at last week? He said, look, everywhere I go, I understand. The Spirit tells me in every town I go, I'm going to be persecuted. I'm going to be imprisoned. And yet now it's, it's people who are saying to him, hey, look, Paul, if you keep doing what you tell us God's calling you to do, you're going to be ruined. They're going to imprison you. They're going to beat you. Notice they never say, Paul, they're going to kill you. But Paul says, no, even if they kill me, I'm okay. Friends, that's, that's a entirely different risk-reward ratio than any other, any other worldview you're going to see. And so this morning, I, I, I thought it might be good for us to look at that story for a little bit and, and say, okay, how do we find that kind of life inside of us? How do we find that kind of place where, where we understand what it means to do what Paul did. Even when good people tell us, hey, don't do what God's calling you to do, we can say, oh, wait a minute. We need to be the people of God in the kingdom of God up against the kingdom of darkness. So the first thing I want you to notice is this, because I need to, we're going to launch this series here actually next week. Pastor Preston's going to help me launch this series on, on what it means to know who God is. And I've asked him to, to help me do that next week. And, and so here's, here's the thing, because I, if you missed his sermon this summer in July, Preston did a wonderful job 
of, of embracing this. The, the sermon title is called Blown Away by God. And really, really understanding who God is and, and coming to grips with that in our life. But, but I have to tell you that, that when we're doing that, when we're trying to declare some of these God narratives that, that are false narratives and then understand what Jesus says about God, then it, it comes to a place where for us there, there are some things that we've, we've allowed ourselves to think about God. And, and what I'm about to share with you is, has come through a lot of thought and a lot of prayer and there's a risk-reward ratio for what I'm about to do. But I need you to know that following Jesus is different than a lot of us think. See, we, we think that God has this, this plan out there for us. And if we give up what we want to do, he's going to surprise us. And when he surprises us, we may not like it. it it's that old prayer. Have you, ever, have you ever prayed this prayer? Jesus, I'll do anything for you except don't call me to be a missionary. Or once you become a parent, Jesus, I'll do anything for you, but just don't let my kids go somewhere a long way away from me. Or, hey, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere you want to go as long as I can get to see my grandkids within six hours. See, there's, there's, this, there's this thing inside of us that thinks that if we really give God total control of our life, he's going to surprise us with something bad. And what I want to suggest to you this morning is that following Jesus calls us to a complete awareness of the risk involved. There, there's never a chance that God is going to surprise you with an unwarranted risk. I mean, he started warning Paul about what was going to happen and saying, hey, Paul, look, if you do this for me, if you respond to me, the reward is going to be amazing. The reward is going to be many people who come to know Jesus. The reward is going to be an impact on the world with your entire life. But, but Paul, what I, I want you to know, it's going to be hard. See, that's where we flipped it in the 20th century. I'm praying that in the 21st century, the church will reverse its stand from the 20th century. Because in the 20th century church in the Western world, somehow we came up with the idea that serving Jesus means everything's going to be, to use the vernacular, hunky-dory. It's all going to be good. Just give Jesus all your trials, all your tribulations, and you will live a life that's like a rose-colored path. No thorns, no heartache, no sorrow. Yeah, the last 18 months kind of threw that out the window, right? I mean, Christian people died from COVID too, you know. And the fact of the matter is that Jesus never calls us to that kind of risk-reward ratio. But he also never calls us to suffering without letting us be aware of the risk. From the very beginning, Jesus said to his disciples, not everyone who, puts his, who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. It was Jesus who said to his disciples, not anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is worthy of the kingdom of God. There was a day when, when a guy came to Jesus and said, I'll follow you anywhere. Jesus looked and said, look, the birds of the air have their nests. The foxes have the holes in the ground they sleep in. The son of man doesn't have anywhere to lay his head. You want to come with me? You got to know there's a risk involved in this. And the reward is amazing. Because the reward is connecting with, with this kingdom that'll never end. The reward is connecting with this life that starts now and goes forever. You see, following Jesus 
always, he always is upfront with us. Please quit being afraid of what God has for your life. Quit being hesitant about, about following what God wants you to learn out of the pain, out of the heartache, out of the brokenness. The fact of the matter is we're all broken vessels. There are no pristine, elite people in the kingdom of God. Because in the kingdom of God, we all understand that Jesus died for our sins. For our sins. I'm praying that in the 21st century, the church can reclaim what it means to understand that the God who has a plan for your life, the God who has a, a desire for your life, the God who made you, who breathed life into you, yes, he loves you, but listen, he's always going to make you aware of the risk involved, and then the choice is yours. Will you follow the risk, or will you settle for the comfort? Look at the way it's recorded for us in what I read earlier. So they're doing this thing I told you about last week where the boat's going from island to island along the seacoast. And when we had parted with them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos and the next day to Rhodes and from there to Patera. And then having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, these are not unchristian people, these are not antagonists, these are the followers of Jesus. And, and having sought out the disciples that were there entire, we stayed there for seven days. And get this, and through the Spirit, and this isn't them coming up with it only, through the Holy Spirit, they're being made aware. And they're saying to Paul, Paul, don't go on to Jerusalem. Because the Spirit's making us aware that when you get there, you're going to have trial. You're going to have tribulation. You're going to be persecuted. They're saying, Paul, don't go. Paul doesn't stop. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. I, my imagination goes crazy with this. I keep thinking about these guys that have said to Paul, Hey, Paul, look, the Holy Spirit's telling us, when you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be imprisoned. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to face tough times. Paul, look, we love you, man. You don't have to do that. And Paul's like, no, I'm not listening to you. I mean, <laughs> Do you get the language? They're saying, hey, Paul, in the name of Jesus, don't go. Have you ever had anybody say that to you? In the name of Jesus, I beg you. Jesus is telling me this for you. And these aren't bad people. But what God is doing is God is using them to make Paul totally, completely aware of the risk. So that Paul knows what he's getting into. Friend, please hear me. God has placed some people in your life. God has placed some people in your path that will let you discover what God has for your life. And he's giving them words for you. And sometimes you may have to go against what they're telling you, but they're letting you know. See, God gives you a mission that supersedes what anyone else is able to understand because it's the mission for your life. It's the one for your life. Because you see, 
following Jesus calls us to complete reliance upon Jesus, regardless of the pull of relationships. Regardless of the pull of relationships. Because this doesn't end when Paul's entire, he gets on the ship and they sail on down. And, and when he gets to the place that he's going and he's staying with people he knows, I mean, Philip, one of the seven chosen by the church, and his four daughters who have the gift of prophecy, and another prophet comes down from Judea. I mean, look, look, look at the story again. When we had finished the voyage to Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit. <laughs> thus says the, it's not like, oh, I have an idea. No, he's, he's prophesying. Thus says the Holy Spirit. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, now this is Luke, Luke and the others, we and the people there urged Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. And Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I, I'm ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. He, see, Paul had this ability because he had such, such an awareness of the countercultural risk-reward ratio that, that Christians are called to. To understand that even when Christian people, people he loved, people who loved him, were speaking to him what they were seeing in his future, he had seen that too because God had already made him completely aware of it. He knew the risk, but he also knew that this was what he was called to do, and he wasn't willing to be influenced and pulled by the relationships. Years ago. Becky and I were directing a camp uh, in Middle Tennessee. Beautiful Church of God campgrounds called Camp Overton. Problem with Camp Overton was it had no swimming pool. And in the middle of the summer, a camp in the middle of Tennessee in July, early August can be the hottest place on earth. Only hell is hotter than those places, all right? And it's humid, and, and, and kids have been sleeping in unair-conditioned cabins, and, and there was no swimming pool, and so, but there was a state park nearby, uh, Rock Island State Park. And, the, and we knew, and some of the other locals knew, a, a swimming hole at the Rock Island State Park. And so we took the kids over to the Rock Island State Park to swim. These are high school kids, right? And I had a group of guys from my church. They were all juniors and seniors, this group. And uh, they were kind of like the kings of the camp, right? I mean, whatever they did set the tone for everybody else. And suddenly I look up and these guys have started scaling a, a rock wall that went about, I'm guessing, oh, 20, 25 feet high. And it was next to the swimming hole. Now, I knew that the water was very deep. And I, I knew that, you know, kids had been, like, jumping off the rocks on the side of that wall. 
But no one had gone all the way to the top, right? And these, these three guys, they're going all the way to the top, okay? And, and, and when they get to the top, suddenly I see a ninth grade girl who had the deepest crush on these boys. And she had been following them all week long. And, and suddenly I look up, and she's at the top with them. And these guys, and I'm yelling at them, hey, what are you going to do? Come down from there. I mean, I'm the camp director. Get down from there. Oh, we're coming down. We're coming down. We're going to jump. I'm like, it's 20 feet. What do you mean? You're going to jump. We're going to jump. And then they get to the edge, and they look over. And these three guys are looking, and they're like, we are in a predicament. We are the kings of the camp. We've told everybody we're about to jump. And now we're scared to death. Because that's a long way down. And you could see them. I mean, they, they walked it back. You know, they're judging it. They're looking over. And, and I lost sight of the ninth grade girl. And I'm thinking, well, she's smart. She's coming down. When suddenly, from between the three guys who have been walking back, like for 10 minutes, they're just like, oh, yeah, yeah that's a long way. Well, I, I don't know. Suddenly flying out from behind them, leaping out into the air, is the ninth grade girl who turns into the most beautiful swan dive you've ever seen in your life. Her arms are extended. Coach Eddie, she'd, she'd make your team at Anderson. I'm telling you, man. She, she was just beautiful, just boom, and down into it. And now she comes up out, and everybody's applauding, and now the three guys are stuck. And they all grab, just funny, the three of them grab hands and jump off together. The ugliest dive you've ever seen in your life. I tell you that story because one of them forgot to cover his nose. And he got a water up in his nose. And after we dragged him out, he had a massive headache. Surprise. And I didn't know what else to do. I couldn't get him well, so we took him to the hospital. And as we're driving into the ER in the little town about 15 minutes away, I'm looking at him. His name's Kenny. I'm like, Kenny, why in the world did you guys do that? He said, well, pastor, to be real honest with you, we had decided not to jump until she jumped. And suddenly we realized she's in the ninth grade. She's a little girl. She, she just did that, and, and here we are. We've got to do this. Our manhood is at stake. And I'm like, Kenny, do you not understand she's a competitive swimmer and diver at her, at her high school back home? No. Yeah, Kenny. He said, well, Pastor, could you pray for me? <laughs> I said, yeah, Kenny, I'll pray for you. I tell you that because here's what I think I know. In fact, it's not what I think I know. It's what I know. I know that for a lot of us, following Jesus is what we do because everybody else is doing it. The culture does it. And folks, right now, that's never going to work again. That is never going to work again. Now we have to be willing to risk the reward of following Jesus. Fully aware of the risk and knowing that even the pull of relationships. Did you hear the way Paul said it? Look, you're, you're breaking my heart here, folks. You're breaking my heart. Because I know what God's called me to do. I love you. I know you love me, but, but this is it. Because you see... Following Jesus calls us to complete dependence upon God's will 
to be done in our life. Complete dependence. We can't be counting on the cultural values when the culture's not the same values as Jesus. We, we can't be dependent upon the people around us when, when they mean well, but their love for us skews their view of what God wants for us. And, and so following Jesus calls us to complete dependence upon God's will to be done in our lives. And, and Luke and Philip and all these other folks who are praying for Paul, they get it, finally. You say, what do you mean, Pastor? Look, since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. And after these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. You see, when we understand that following Jesus will make us completely aware of the risk, will allow us to, to follow him regardless of the pool of relationships, when, 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 we will, when we finally get to that place, we understand it's God's will, not my will, that needs to be done. We discover the greatest risk-reward ratio any of us will ever see. If you risk everything for Jesus, he risks everything for you. There's an old song of the church that quite honestly, for decades, upon decades, people in the church have sung. And Sarah's going to invite you to sing it with her as we decide today, are we willing to risk the reward that Jesus has promised us? Would you pray with me? Abba, Papa, be our vision. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, tune our hearts to you. Lord Jesus, help us to be willing to follow you, regardless of what people say, regardless of the pain, regardless of the obstacles, regardless of the heartbreak and the heartache that we encounter along the way. Make us fully aware of the risk, but make us totally, totally engaged with the call. For it's in the strong name of Jesus that we pray.